Welcome back to the Foul Balls podcast for NFL Week 9. Uh, back on the podcast game, feeling better, ready to record. My voice is back, so that's all good. We have 10-game NFL slate, and I think this is a pretty good slate. I think there's a good amount of value. There's a lot of spots that make sense. First game on the slate, the Atlanta Falcons at the Carolina Panthers. So, Matt, what information do you have for this game? This game has a little bit of line movement that I think is caused primarily by the Kelvin Benjamin trade. The Panthers opened as one-and-a-half-point favorites. I think they were up to two-point favorites before the trade happened. After the deal, the game was around Pickham, but in the last hour or so, actually, on Thursday afternoon, the Falcons have moved to two-point favorites. So it's probably a combination of the Sharps being on Atlanta and Benjamin not being with Carolina anymore. And I guess that Carolina's offense hasn't been particularly good this season anyway, except for a couple really, really strong games. But the Benjamin trade should hurt them a lot. And you'll probably mention Devin Funches, but they're just, they're a really bad receiving core now without him. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I still think there's some value here just because Calvin Benjamin being traded. It opens up some targets other places. Funches was leading the team in targets anyway, so I don't really think he gets a big boost from this just because he was getting about eight targets a game, and I don't think there's any room for him to go up. I do think that Christian McCaffrey at 6,500 makes some sense at running back. Uh, The Falcons have been one of the worst teams in the NFL against pass-catching backs over the last couple years, so McCaffrey figures to get a couple extra targets with Benjamin gone. And then the receivers starting in place of Benjamin now, I tend to lean to, we have uh, Samuel and Shepard, both are priced at 3100 Neither of them have really done anything this year or really throughout their careers. Part of it, Samuel is a rookie. He was the Panthers' second-round pick this year. Shepard, undrafted free agent, who's actually been a practice squad player for about five years now. So just because of the talent in their backgrounds, I lean towards Samuel at 3100 the, the Panthers used a high draft pick on him, and now is probably the chance we're going to say, okay, let's see what he could do. We're going to give him extra extra playing time, extra snaps, I think extra targets coming his way. So I think that he makes sense at 3,100 as a value play. So I'm trying to figure out what the reason might be that the, the Sharps have switched to Atlanta so heavily. The Panthers have some injuries on their offensive line that could be a concern. Ryan Khalil, I think, just got injured. He's questionable this week, and then Trey Turner... Uh, at guard is also questionable. Are those injuries significant or like, it's kind of hard to quantify the added effect when one offensive lineman's hurt compared to when a couple of them are hurt. Maybe there's more of an exponential effect when you you have to go to second and third and fourth backup linemen. So is that potentially the reason that the Panthers offense could be seeing negative line movement? Yes. um, And then also the Benjamin trade, it's, it's hard to quantify exactly how much an offensive lineman injury impacts a team. Like it's definitely a negative, but it's hard to say one guy being questionable, how much that is going to affect them for an individual game. Like I don't think this is a tremendous spot for the Panthers by any means. I just think that there is value there just because Benjamin's gone. So just other players coming in, it, it's just somebody at minimum price who could be seeing five to seven targets. That's just a good situation. Yeah, so the guys that I like on the Panthers, McCaffrey, I think, wouldn't really be hurt by the offensive line being banged up because he's going to be catching dump-offs and shorter passes anyway. He probably will get extra targets with Benjamin being out, and then Shepard and Samuel at cheap prices. I think one of those guys... I think I'll have a lot of lineups where I have one or the other. Not sure which guy makes 
more sense yet. We'll probably need a little more information on who's going to start and I don't know who maybe will be higher owned or lower owned because I would imagine that there's some public sentiment towards one or the other as we get closer to Sunday. For the Falcons, though, I think it's probably a complete fade, although I am sort of intrigued by this line movement and maybe it's a plus for Atlanta's offense, but I'm more inclined to believe that it's a minus for Carolina's offense, not a plus for Atlanta's offense. Um, but if Devontae Freeman is hurt, then Tevin Coleman makes sense. Other than that, though, I don't really think there's much to use from Atlanta's side. Yeah, overall, Atlanta's offense has just not been particularly good this year. They're still fairly high-priced. And Carolina, sixth-ranked defense by DVOA, seventh against the run, seventh against the pass. So not I, I just think not really a strong spot for the Falcons when considering their prices. The next game on the slate, this is a game that I can't imagine I'm going to roster anybody from. The Los Angeles Rams at the New York Giants. This is, to me, just a shit game. Yeah, and there's sharp action on the Giants and the under, which I think makes it easier than even I previously thought to ignore Todd Gurley. I think he'll be pretty popular this week. He's had a bunch of good games. It's a, I guess, a TV game for anyone on the East Coast with the Giants playing. So maybe Gurley gets extra ownership just because he's facing the Giants. Um, I, I have no interest in anyone from the Rams. Evan Ingram has been really good this year, extra targets with all the Giants receiver injuries, but he's priced up to 5600 now, probably just too much, and then it's really hard to trust anyone from the Giants offense, so this game could definitely be a complete fade. Yeah, definitely, and still a good defense for the Rams. Um, I guess one thing of significance is that Janoris Jenkins has been suspended by the Giants. He's their best cornerback. I still don't really see how much it benefits the Rams because their passing game isn't particularly good. So I'm off that game. And the Jenkins Next. injury hasn't even been reflected in the in the betting movement at all. And it's probably because of what you're saying, because the Rams do most of their damage on the ground anyway. Jenkins being hurt against this team is probably Sus- a lot uh, less. Suspended. Uh, suspended against this team is probably a lot less significant than it would be against another team. So next game on the slate, Cincinnati Bengals at the Jacksonville Jaguars. I would imagine Jaguars' defense, one of the top defenses to pay up for. But then also, offense, it's difficult to get behind. Fournette is questionable, but he is expected to play because he's been practicing this week. But still a good defense for the Bengals. This should be a low-scoring game. Yeah, I think it could make some sense to go with Fournette and the Jaguars' defense as a correlation play, but I think there are better running backs to pay up for. So in terms of correlation, it's a good move, but just individual value-wise, I don't think Fournette is a particularly good player to use this week just because the Bengals' defense is good. So even though he might get a couple extra carries if the Jaguars are winning, it's probably not enough to make him better than some other guys that we'll get to. So I do like the Jaguars' defense. The line movement is pretty strong in favor of them. They've gone from 3.5-point favorites to 5.5-point favorites, and the over-under has dropped from 39.5 to 39. Good indicators for Jacksonville's defense. Definitely off Cincinnati's passing game. Joe Mixon could be interesting, though, because as we've mentioned, the Jaguars are, well, they're the best pass defense in football by DVOA and the worst run defense. So if there's any player to use from the Bengals side, it's definitely Mixon. But he's a little too expensive, I think, for either of us. So I'll probably go in a different direction, but I'm still considering him a little bit. Yeah, if he was cheaper, I would definitely like him. Mixon, 5,100, so we need about 15 fantasy points for him to hit value. He hasn't scored more than 13 in a single game this year. So I, I like Mixon in general. I just don't think this is a spot for him. And then also game flow just figures to not favor the Bengals running game. And then also 
they've just been giving snaps to Bernard, they've given snaps to Hill, they've been giving snaps to Mixon, so the playing time also isn't secure. So I think that there are going to be spots where I'm going to use Mixon this year. I just don't think that this is going to be the spot. The next game on the slate, Tampa Bay Buccaneers at the New Orleans Saints. The Saints are one of my favorite offenses on the slate. I think a lot of people will be rostering them, but I think this is just an awesome spot for them. Well, there actually is a lot of sharp money on Tampa, and I think I initially agreed with it, but then I got a little bit concerned about Jameis Winston's shoulder. If he's healthy, I think that there is a good chance for Tampa to do really well offensively in this game, but they aren't that cheap. So it's going to end up being a fade for me just because of the prices, because the other offenses, the other passing games in particular that we like just cost less. But the line has dropped from minus seven to six and a half for Tampa. The total's going up. Uh, it's It started at 50. It's at 51 now. So it, it's good indicators for Tampa. They're just very expensive. Um, Mike Evans at 7,700. Deshaun Jackson at 5,500. Cameron Brate probably is in play. So maybe you pair him with Winston and hope that he just gets all the targets. But it's 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 just going to be harder than I would like to use Tampa. It just it would be nice if they were cheaper. And I think at the very least, all this is doing for me is having me fade the Saints defense. There are a few other good defensive spots. So the line movement just has me off New Orleans defensively. But for offense, I do think the Saints make for pretty good plays at a lot of spots. Yeah. So if this game could stay competitive. I think Doug Martin could be a solid play, 5,800. Very similar to what we liked about Jordan Howard last week. The Saints are now 29th in DVOA against the run, but 4th against the pass. So the Saints have been a really good pass defense and just a shitty run defense this year. So Doug Martin at 5,800, he's been getting almost all of the work in the Bucks' backfield. I think he's a solid play. Then from the Saints' side of the game, Drew Brees is at 7,000. I think that that's a fair price for him. Mark Ingram at 7,600. I think he's a decent play. He's very safe because of the amount of volume he's been getting. He's also getting all of the red zone carries. Um, And then Mike Thomas at 7,200. I think that that's also a solid play at wide receiver. The secondary receivers for the Saints are a little difficult to figure out because Willie Sneed's back healthy now. Brandon Coleman's been getting snaps. Ted Ginn Jr.'s been good this year. But I think that Michael Thomas at 7,200, I think that he's a little bit underpriced compared to the top-tier receivers. So I like him to breeze a lot as a quarterback-to-wide receiver combination. Yeah, I think I'll probably end up fading the passing game here for the most part, just because I think they'll be fairly high-owned, and it's kind of hard to figure out where the targets will go. They They have a lot of options, like you said. So Thomas, I'll probably use somewhat. I don't really think I like any of the other receivers for New Orleans, but Thomas with Breeze or just Thomas by himself uh, with different quarterbacks and other stacks, I guess, as a plug-in. I think Thomas and Martin are the two guys to mainly target from these two teams. Yeah, Thomas is the one guy I'm confident is going to get val- is going to get volume. He has at least eight targets in six of the Saints' seven games this year. So that's that's a lot of balls coming his way. The Buccaneers are 31st in pass DVOA this year. So Saints at home against a weak pass defense. Thomas basically guaranteed to get at least eight targets because that's pretty much been his floor this year. So I I like that spot for him a lot. Next game on the slate is the... Let me just throw in something before you get to the next game on on one more thing on this, is that if you're fading New Orleans, I think Doug Martin probably negatively correlates with the Saints passing game because if he's doing well... That's a lot more time on the field for Tampa if he's running for first downs than the Saints just have the ball less. 
So I think it does make sense if you're fading New Orleans completely, Martin kind of is a double down on that move. Do you think that makes any sense? Yeah, a little bit. I also just think, though, that if this game is close, it's probably going to have to be because the Buccaneers have had some success running the ball just because of the huge splits in between the Saints' pass defense and the run defense. So I think if this is a high-scoring game, it could be a game where you know Doug Martin has 100-plus yards and a touchdown. And I think that's the that's the more likely route for the Buccaneers to be able to keep the game competitive. All right, fair enough. Yeah, uh, let's move on to the next one. So this next game, this is a very messy game. The Arizona Cardinals at the San Francisco 49ers. Carson Palmer's out for the next six to eight weeks with a broken arm. And then from the 49ers side of the game, they just traded for Jimmy Garoppolo, but he is not starting yet. It's still going to be Beathard starting quarterback. So what is the Vegas information for this game? I, I think ultimately it's a game that I'm not going to have much exposure to. Maybe a couple guys plugged in here and there, but not really a lot of interest here. The line movement favors the Cardinals. They have moved from minus one to minus two and a half, but the total has gone down. I think this is very anti-Niners offense. The total now is at 39 points. So the Cardinals could make some sense, but this is just a really bad game with bad teams. So I'm I'm off San Francisco's offense. I think we've used them in a couple spots, but they're just really awful. And then maybe Larry Fitzgerald, but I don't really like anyone else from the Cardinals side. Yeah, I think Drew stands really cheap against a shitty defense. I'm not saying I like him this week, but I think maybe making one or two lineups with the Larry Fitzgerald-Drew Stan combination makes sense just because they're so cheap and the 49ers defense is so bad. But on the same side, Stan's really bad also. So not something I'm going to go crazy with, I'll say again, but I think it at least warrants thinking about in a GPP for some salary savings. The next game on the slate, our heroes from last week, Seattle Seahawks at home against the Washington Redskins. The Seahawks passing game was awesome last week. And what is the information for them this week, a game where they're a little bit more expensive against a tougher defense? Yeah, the uh, the line hasn't moved here at all. I don't think there's any real bias. The Seahawks are minus 7. The total's 45. Those both look like fair numbers. And the Seahawks probably will be a little bit higher owned because they played so well last week. So I think this is a pretty good fade spot. The Redskins' defense is above average. They're 16th against the pass, 11th against the run. There was some, I think it was from Roto World today that I was reading that Pete Carroll said that Eddie Lacy will be a lot more involved this week, that he's going to get more carries. But the Seahawks' running game has been so bad, and the Redskins' run defense is good, that even with Lacy maybe getting three or four extra carries, I don't really have interest there. I think there are better running backs to use, so I'll probably still have zero exposure to Eddie Lacy, even though he might be fairly popular with that narrative going into the week. Yeah, I, I think that there should be some points scored in this game. I just don't think there's a lot of value because the Seahawks had a really good game last week, and they're just really priced up for it. Russell Wilson's more expensive. Doug Baldwin's more expensive, even though he was the worst receiver on the Seahawks, at least from a fantasy point perspective last week. So I, I don't really think that there's a ton to see here from a DFS perspective. And then the final game on the slate, this is going to be our favorite game to stack. Second week in a row that we have the late night hammer going for us. I think the, we, the hold on, I think we actually have more than one. We might have missed one here. There's. What did we miss? Let's see. Houston, Indy. Oh yeah, we did. I don't know how I skipped those. <laughs> you I think skipped I a couple games here. <laughs> 
I just, I just, I don't know why that was that I just started. And you got really you know, excited about the late work between the the pro football focus box scores and the. Uh, so let's save the Cowboys Chiefs game for last. Yeah, gotta we'll save go the into, hammer for the end. So right away, uh, oh, just this real quick: the Ravens are playing at the Titans. This game doesn't really warrant to talk about too much. I think it's a pretty uninteresting game. I, I think agree. the Ravens' defense is in play. I, I think they're the cheapest defense that I think makes for a decent play. The Ravens under 3,000. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I, I don't have any interest in the Titans. There's line movement actually going towards the Ravens. They've dropped from 4.5-point underdogs to 3-point underdogs. Part of that is because Joe Flacco has been upgraded to, I think he's probable now, but also it's a good spot for the Ravens' defense at cheaper price than some of the other defenses that we'll be using, so... Ravens defense, a little bit of exposure. Other than that, zero interest in the game. So the next game uh, is the Indianapolis Colts at the Houston Texans. I think everybody's going to want to roster the Texans this week. They are so ridiculously expensive. This is obviously a good spot for the passing game. Deshaun Watson's been ridiculous this year. DeAndre Hopkins has been equally ridiculous this year. Will Fuller's made no sense this year. He has something like 10 catches for 20 touchdowns. It's the most absurd thing I've ever seen. Uh, he's at 7,000. He's one of the most expensive receivers on the slate, and he has not had more than five catches in a game all year. I was fading him last week. It's another very easy fade for me this week. I really like Lamar Miller at 6,200. I think that's such a strong play. I think more people are going to gravitate towards the Texans passing game. Lamar Miller's been really solid for DFS this year on the whole. He's had a couple of tough matchups. But overall, he's had some really good games. He always seems to be a little bit underpriced. He's getting a lot of volume now. So I think with a lot of people going towards the Texans' passing game, Lamar Miller, who I already think is a good play, I think it's made even a stronger play because if he's going to get the touchdowns, obviously that's going to take away from the amount of touchdowns that the passing game gets. And then from the Colts' side of the game, I think that T.Y. Hilton and Jacoby Brissett makes some sense as a correlation stack. Definitely, T.Y. Hilton, I just think, is way too cheap against a bad defense. They're going to be playing from behind, so they're going to have to throw the ball. And T.Y. Hilton is big play upside, so he's a strong GPP play for me as well. This game has two of my favorite players for the week, both guys you've mentioned already, Lamar Miller and T.Y. Hilton. I think T.Y. Hilton actually will be my highest-owned player this week because, well, it's a good hedge against the Texans doing well offensively because if the Colts are trailing, it's a lot of, it's a lot of extra pass opportunities for Hilton. Also, their coaching staff has said this week that they want to get him more involved. He hasn't been particularly good the last few weeks, so that could keep his ownership down. Um, I I find it really hard to fade Houston's passing game entirely. The line movement here really favors a lot of points. The total's gone up from 48 to 51.5, although there is, there is some sharp action on the Colts. So I, I definitely think the Colts are undervalued. Hilton is, like I said, one of my favorite players this week. I think pairing him with Brissett is a good strategy. Jack Doyle, too, still too cheap for the amount of targets that he's been getting. He's only 4,300. But from the Houston side, beyond Miller, do you think it makes any sense to use some of their secondary and third receiving choices like Bruce Ellington and Ryan Griffin because all of the ownership will probably be on Hopkins and Fuller and Maybe throw Hopkins into a lineup or two. He's very expensive, but definitely no Will Fuller this week. At 7000 that's just an insane price for him. So I'm still considering Hopkins, but I think the guys that I would try to use more are Ellington and Griffin. Does that make any sense? Yeah, I think it makes some sense. I don't know if that's a route I'll go. Hopkins is just too expensive. Okay, 9200 
you need tw- like 28 fantasy points for him to hit value. That's just a ridiculously high number, especially because the the game flow of this game doesn't really favor the Texans' pass game. Like they figure to be up by a decent amount and to be running the ball late. So I I say that I can't say I'm totally comfortable fading the Texans' passing game. But I just think that they're so overpriced that I'm not going to have any exposure to Watson. I'm not going to have any exposure to Hopkins. I'm not going to have any exposure to Fuller. And I expect them to be chalky, and I'm just going to hope that none of them have totally ridiculous games. But it's hard to think that a wide receiver priced all the way at 9200 could really kill you. Yeah, not having Hopkins, for that to, for that to be bad, he'd have to basically just do what he did last week and even though it's a better matchup than he had against the Seahawks, that was a pretty fluky game. I mean, we did talk about him, and we both liked him, so I'd like to give ourselves all the credit, but Hopkins definitely got lucky to score 40 fantasy points. That's not something you can expect against any team. So the players that I think we both will use the most here are Miller, Brissett, Hilton, maybe Doyle, and then I guess Ryan Griffin at tight end, but there are a lot of good tight ends to use this week, so I probably won't even go that route either. Probably just those first four players. Okay, so the second-to-last game on the slate is the Denver Broncos and the Philadelphia Eagles. And then one of the things that makes this game relatively easy to stay away from is one— well, from the Broncos' offense is offense part of the game. Brock Osweiler starting at quarterback. And then for the Eagles, they just traded for Jay Ajayi, who's expected to start at running back. And since he was a trade deadline trade, he's not in the player pool. He's not on the slate. So very easy to not use Jay Ajayi because we can't. So what is the information for Vegas from this game? Okay, so with Osweiler starting, you'd figure this is a big downgrade for the Broncos' offense, and I think it is. So there's sharp money on Denver anyway, and I'll say that it has everything to do with the Broncos' defense and the Eagles' offense. So the Broncos have moved from 7.5-point underdogs to 7, despite getting only 30% of the spread bets. The big spread dollars looking at sports insights, are on them anyway. So the total has dropped from 44 to 43, and I think that's the significant part here. The Broncos' defense is getting the big boost from this line movement, not the Broncos' offense. So I I have zero interest in Osweiler, and looking at this line movement, I have even less interest in the Eagles' offense. I do think it could make some sense to use the Broncos' defense a little bit. Just pulling up their price again. I think they were pretty cheap, though. Should have remembered this one. Yeah, they're only twenty six hundred. So I prefer you, the Ravens' defense for cheap. Yeah, I guess if you're if you're building a lineup where the difference between twenty nine hundred and twenty six hundred is relevant, then I don't think it's a bad move to go with the Broncos' defense. If I had to choose, though, I, I agree with you. I prefer the Ravens, but if you're trying to fit a certain grouping of players that makes it so you only can spend 2600 or less on defense, then I think the Broncos are viable. But other than that, I don't really have interest in the game at all. Uh, I yeah, guess we uh, both do like the, the Eagles. The Eagles' defense is viable. Yeah, that, that, that's fair. That was, that was the other thing I was going to say. Yeah, the Eagles' defense at 3300 is a lot cheaper than the Jaguars' defense. Um, it's, it's a good spot for them for sure. So yeah, that's definitely a solid defense to use. Okay, so now we can actually talk about the last game on the slate, because I got so excited about it, I jumped the gun before. <laughs> you skipped, like, four games there to get to yeah, it. Yeah, just skip four games. It's like, all right, let's just talk about the game that we're going to roster a lot of players from. So the Kansas City Chiefs at the Dallas Cowboys, this is going to be a competitive game. It should be really high scoring. So what is the Vegas information from this game, Matt? Okay, we're seeing a lot of movement to the over in this game, just like the Houston Indy game. The total opened at 48.5. It's now 51.5. 
the Cowboys are one-point favorites, I think actually one and a half, and it's strange because they opened at minus one, moved to plus one, and now they've moved back to minus one and a half. There's a lot of betting volume on this game. This is a game that people just have a ton of interest in, maybe because it's a national TV game at 4.30, but also with the Ezekiel Elliott suspension news, I think there's a lot of people that would just think, okay, now you have to use the Chiefs because, or bet on the Chiefs because the Cowboys offense won't be able to do anything without Elliott. But I, I definitely think that that's not the case. I know you think that that's not the case. The Cowboys should still do well offensively here. And the Chiefs defense, I think has been talked about as one of the better defense, defenses in football this year. But they're not particularly good, especially not against the run. I'm going to pull up DVOA again because I think this is fairly important. So the Chiefs are 31st in DVOA against the run, 20th against the pass, which is a little annoying because we don't really have any clarity on the Cowboys' backfield situation. But either way, the Chiefs are bad defensively across the board. So with the Cowboys' passing game being underpriced, I think that's the route to go, even though the Chiefs are a little bit more beatable on the ground. Yeah, definitely. And then just both these teams have bad defenses, which usually leads to, you know, two bad defenses should mean a little more up-tempo, more scoring. The Cowboys are 25th in DVOA defense. Chiefs are 26th. Dallas, 30th against the run, 19th against the pass. This is a really strong spot to pay up for Kareem Hunt at, what is he, 8,600. The Cowboys running backs, I think I'm off both of them. I think it's individually a good spot for McFadden and Alfred Morris. Just they've been priced up, assuming that Elliott was going to be suspended. They've actually been priced in like the high to mid five thousand range for something like I think maybe even since week one now. Just assuming that his Elliott was going to get suspended one week, and the Cowboys have kind of alluded to that it's going to be a time split this week where both of them are going to get snaps. So that's a little bit too expensive for me for a timeshare. But I do think that with Elliott out, the Cowboys are going to be throwing the ball a bit more. And Dak Prescott at sixty seven hundred, I think there's value there. And then Des Bryant at 6400 that's probably my favorite. Even though you wouldn't look at that price and say, oh, 6400 that's a value receiver. I think for the, my expected output for him at that price, that makes him my favorite value receiver on the slate, just in terms of uh, point per dollar. And then Chiefs side of the game, I mean, just everybody. Hunt is a really strong play. Uh, Travis Kelsey is a strong play if you want to pay up at tight end. Wide receiver Tyreek Hill, who has been alternating good and bad games. I don't actually think this means he's going to have a good game this week, but at least I think it's interesting that his fantasy points by game 38, 28, 17, 7, 28, and then 5 last week. So, if so you he's believe super in the pattern, due, yeah. Yeah. It, well, it's not due. It's just this is the pattern. This is what he does. He has a good game this week. It's just locked in. It's a guarantee. Yeah, that's uh, a, so, I can't argue with that logic. Yeah, Absolutely. So this is a really strong stack game. There's a lot of good spots. It's too bad defense. It should be high scoring. And for the amount of talent that's in this game, it, it's really not ridiculously high priced. I think that I wouldn't be surprised if Des Bryant is the highest scoring receiver on the slate. I think maybe I even expect him to be maybe, probably like the, the third highest scoring wide receiver behind like Mike Thomas and DeAndre Hopkins, and he's priced all the way down at 6400 so good good game to stack. This is where most of my exposure is going to be. I, I definitely think Dak Prescott is the best quarterback to use overall. I think he's good to use independently for cash games. And hopefully this game plays out the way that the Seattle-Houston game played out last week. Um, because it figures to be so high scoring, 
I think I'll have a lot of different combinations of stacks here. So I don't think Alex Smith is off the table. The Chiefs could definitely have a strong passing game here, and game flow could dictate that they're throwing a lot or just that the game is really up-tempo and every player ends up doing well. So Alex Smith is in play for me. Kareem Hunt, like you said, for sure. Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey. And then I do like Jason Witten for Dallas, but there are a lot of good tight ends to use. So if I have the salary to do it, I think Kelsey obviously is a much better player. But Witten, I think, makes sense. He's only in the mid-4,000s, so not too expensive for him. And if the Cowboys are throwing more, it's a boost to Witten, just like for Des Bryant. And I think, yeah, ignoring Dallas's running game probably is the way to go. So just passing game on both sides. And then Kareem Hunt is... We, we've mentioned a few other running backs that we sort of like that are close in price to Hunt, like Leonard Fournette and Mark Ingram. But I think the upside and even the floor for Kareem Hunt is just so much higher. And he's maybe not a better player than those guys, at least Fournette. But he's he's incredibly talented and... This is an easier matchup than any of those guys has. So Kareem Hunt is definitely the running back to pay up for this week in my mind. So that is uh, that was definitely the last game on the slate. And definitely. This is, I think this is a good one. I'm, I, I like the I like the games for this Sunday. So that'll wrap up the podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at GAaronBergDFS and Matt's Twitter handle is at PreachingSense. And we'll be back with the basketball podcast for tomorrow.